0: usually um, I have a very uh, cyclical kind of behavior about things I start doing something I get fired up about it after a while um, you know, like it's it's red laurels. you know like I I go I go there I go there to pick up things and then I go there to put them back down after I'm done picking them up and then sometimes I get tired of Picking them up and then putting them back down and My my zeal for this kind of fades away And I'm all I've been in this cycle for like the past 10 years now Me and red and what other gym, you know, usually it's red. You will just throw him up, you know up and down and uh, and He'll get tired of it, too. No, but uh, (laughs) Really does All right, we're in church. Stop laughing. (laughs) But I think a lot of times, like, we find ourselves kind of slaves to a cycle of behavior, slaves to a pattern of behavior. And particularly with retreat, we might already be having in the back of our mind a resolution to say, yes, this was nice, but about a month from now, I know what my backup plan is, once this all crashes and burns, I know what my backup plan is. Once these friendships start start to fade, and once the atmosphere of prayer, of sharing, and of and of uh, informing my mind with the truth starts to fade, in the background we start to form all of that. And what is God's response to that? It's very interesting. So. As we are taken in this retreat, we are reaffirmed of our identity. So in the gospel, whenever Jesus is being driven to the desert, before this, his identity is publicly proclaimed. He is baptized. The heavens are torn open so the spirit can descend. The father speaks publicly. He says, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. He tells everyone to listen to him. His identity could not be more clear to everyone around him. And after that happens, there's not kind of like a slow burn, you know? There's not like a nice celebration afterwards, you know, there's Mary and Jesus by the Jordan River, and like, they have just handfuls of cake, you know, and uh, like, you know, They're given crosses to Jesus. They're empty because he's not crucified yet. Um, Like there's, you know, there's not like an exchange of gifts or anything like that. Um, But instead what happens is that Jesus goes into the desert. And perhaps we, we think we can relate to this because it seems like a lot of times we come off of retreat that we are the ones going into desert to a place that is barren without solution. But a lot of times we think we go into the desert because we are abandoned. Like God God was there at the retreat. He is not here in the desert. And this is why it's a desert. But whenever, right when we think we often can relate to the Gospels, if we read it more clearly, something more surprising is happening here. God in no way has abandoned his son. What he has done, and we heard in the very First line of the gospel, at that time, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert. Jesus was led by the Spirit. In other gospels, Jesus driven by the Spirit into the desert. That seems so confusing. Why would God drive him out of this place where his identity is so clear and drive him into a barren place so that he could be tempted. So I've been reading this book. It's a good one. Um, Within the book, there are many. And one of them is called Hebrews. And Hebrews says this. You have forgotten the exhortation addressed to you as sons. My son, do not disdain the discipline of the Lord or lose heart when reproved by him. For whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, he scourges every son he acknowledges. Endure your trials as discipline. God treats you as sons. For what son is there with whom his father does not discipline? If you are without discipline, and which all have shared, you are not sons, but bastards. Besides this, we have had our earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Should we not submit all the more to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a short time, as seemed right to them. But he does so for our benefit, in order that we may share his holiness." At the time, all discipline seems a cause not for joy, but for pain. Yet later, it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Yet later, it brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. The father leads the son into the desert. So that we who share in his baptism may know what it is to be chosen as sons. And Christ breaks the cycle, the pattern of behavior that we fall into. He breaks it for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. That which was lost, why we heard in the first reading, God creating this paradise. Now God goes back to this paradise in his son, Jesus Christ, but it's no longer a paradise. Now it's a desert. Now nothing grows there. It is barren. He goes back to that place where the rebellion happened in the very beginning with our first parents, Adam and Eve. And he begins with receiving that discipline himself, receiving that temptation himself, so that later it can bring about in us the peaceful fruit of righteousness to we who are trained by it. How does he do that? He takes on those three temptations have to do with what we call the triple concupiscence, the desire for the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life. And the three parts of man are our appetites, our will, and our intellect. That total transformation, Jesus himself takes it on. And taking it on, what I want to shift to now is that practical, what are the, the fruits of righteousness that bring peace. We can obviously leave um, retreats with an abundance of different emotions and different pious thoughts and different experiences, but only through training, only through temptation, only through the growth of habits and virtues will the fruits of peace, the peaceful fruit of righteousness, will come about. And so, Jesus then, in a sense, enters into the desert, not so that God can say, let's see what you have. Let's see if you can handle it. But so that he can make clear for us what is good and what is bad. Because a lot of times we leave retreat, and we leave the Lord and a steep experience with the Lord without really separating the good from the bad. I'll give you an example. On January 3rd of this year, a formless chaos began to grow, and it grew, grew and grew until Friday afternoon. And Friday afternoon, sitting outside of the David Lodge, that formless chaos separated from chaos into order, and those who perceived it for the past three months often you know, said, it looks good, it's a good thing. But only after the formless chaos was totally removed (laughs) and the order rested upon this upper lip did we truly know who had good taste and who had bad taste. And James and JB, you have good taste. Now, a lot of times we leave retreat, and if we do not immediately enter into our own weakness and enter into our own temptation, it gets hard to know what is the difference. We leave retreat, we have all these friendships, all these friendships. And then it's like, why did the same group of friends that I was just on Greek retreat with just get blasted at night town later this, the next weekend? <laughs> why did that happen? We didn't separate the good from the bad. We thought it was all good. It's all good, it's all gravy. God has given us the divine thumbs up on everything in our life. And now we don't need to enter into the desert. But immediately after receiving his identity, Jesus enters into the desert and he separates for the good from the bad. Because he enters directly into his weakness. And how he enters into his weakness and why the devil comes after 40 days, because the devil thinks that he's weak. But we know St. Paul says, In my weakness, your power is perfected. In Jesus' human weakness, the divine power is perfected. And in our weakness, we in no way, you've been here for less than 72 hours. You are in no way if there's been a habit of sin that has developed. In no way, like it is not an honest thing to say, I will go back and this is all going to be fine as Saul with Colleen, Saul, Brittany, like there is a whole transformation of a lifestyle that needs to take place. And so what Jesus does is that he goes directly against the grain. And that's exactly what we need to do because Jesus's temptation in the desert. It's not like, okay, I did it. The rest of my public ministry is easy because he clearly fights the devil in the desert. He is able to not so clear, he is able to clearly navigate the not so clear of his very his closest friends betraying him and running away from him at his passion, where it becomes much more subtle and a much more difficult uh, fight to fight. And so, practically, what is this going to look like? Jesus encounters uh, three different temptations from the devil. That first temptation to turn bread, uh, to turn these stones into bread. That is, the devil tempts him to have access to immediate pleasure. Fix the problem now. Don't worry about all this suffering you've been undergoing. It's not worth it. Just fix the immediate problem that you're experiencing now and forget about your future. So practically, what are the pleasures that I will reject that are immediate? Or what is the thing that I know? Like if I went to confession this weekend, what's the thing that's going to kick me out of a state of grace? What is the thing that is done most frequently? Is it lust? Is it drunkenness? Is it missing Sunday mass? It's one of these things. What is the thing that I know? Like is the big hole in the ship that it's going to kick me out of a state of grace and it's going to leave me without a, f- a desire for future holiness? Know what that is and do what it takes to to patch that up, whatever it takes. Be aware of that predominant fault, that thing that's going to kick me out of a state of grace. Reject the desire for immediate pleasure. The second has to do not with our relationship to ourselves, but our relationship to our friends. Jesus says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, And with their hands, they will support you, lest you dash your foot against a stone. That what the devil is tempting Jesus to do is to be vain. Make everyone admire you. Put on a show for everyone. We need to be able to change the content of our friendships. To be able to trust our friends enough not to desire to impress them always and to put on a good show for them, but am I surrounding myself with people who would actually show a bad thing, you know, like I can show the bad show, um, that I have friendships of accountability in my life, that if I desire to patch up the big holes in the ship, is there someone who's going to patch it up with me? Is someone who's going to say, hey, I really don't want to get drunk this weekend. Yeah, I don't want to do it either. Okay, well, let's hold ourselves accountable and let's make sure that we don't do that. Let's check in daily. Those friendships of accountability are important and they're things that we'll always need in our life because we should never desire in our life to say, okay, I want the training wheels off. I now want to impress everybody. God's power is shown through weakness. We always need to be able to have friendships and relationships to which we can bear that weakness toward one another. Lastly, whenever the the devil then tempts Jesus with all of the kingdoms of the world, it says, all of these I shall give to you if you will prostrate yourself and worship me. The devil desires to give Jesus an illusion of control. The devil desires to give us an illusion of control. If you worship anyone else but God, you will have this control. All the, kingdom of the world, all the kingdoms of the world can be yours. How am I going to pray and make that decision? How am I going to pray? First, to pray, make the resolution to obtain that fruit of righteousness, of peace. To pray for 30 minutes a day. Just make the resolution. And just start and fail at it if you have to but making that resolution then we have to ask how and when will i pray will i pray with scripture will i pray with a magnificat will i pray with the you know like the materials of the focused bible study is there is there am i going to be praying with a rosary do i want to just speak to the lord in silence How will I do? What book of the Bible am I going to pray? Am I going to pray with the Psalms? Am i going to pray with Sirach? Am I going to pray with uh, Proverbs? What am I going to be doing? And then make time for it in the morning. The morning is when the the time of day is not chaotic. The morning is whenever the Lord is fresh within our hearts. And what praying in the morning will do is that it will make us children of light to where we won't stay up and do foolish things all night because we know, hey, I cannot do this thing tonight because I have a greater obligation in the morning. I have an appointment with Jesus. I have an appointment with Jesus. Make the time to pray. All this in conclusion again, that this battle is not something to be delayed. That Christ immediately after the public announcement of his identity is driven into the desert. You don't sit around and, you know, have handfuls of cake and exchange religious goods and things uh, at at the Jordan River. But what does happen is the immediate driving into the desert to fight the devil clearly whenever we can, whenever we have that clear vision of what is good and what is evil so that later when suffering comes down the road, as we see in Jesus' own passion, whenever it's not so clear, whenever even his own friends betray him, he can have the, the, the fortitude, the strength of heart, and the clarity of mind, and the peace to be able to fight those battles.